0: Now normally when the handout's as long as that, I say it's not as long as it looks, but tonight I'm afraid it may be. Um, but I do have two things to say about that. First, you would not believe how much I cut out, how long it initially was, so I did cut it down to what I think would be a manageable amount. About 8.30 or 9 o'clock we should be through <laughs> to get out of here. Not really. I, I think we should be able to go through it rather quickly. We won't be able to spend as much time as I would like on any of the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight. But we'll get to spend more time on this than we did Sunday morning, a couple of weeks ago when we went through this particular part on the Sermon on the Mount. We're talking tonight in our prayer meeting about praying for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. Basing that off of Jesus' saying in the Sermon on the Mount, we are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now to understand what this means, we have to kind of understand what is meant by the kingdom or the kingdom of God. We speak of the kingdom of God, we're talking about a time and not really a place. It's a time Where God rules, where God's reign, and where God's will is always done. Now part of what we're praying when we pray this is for heaven to invade earth. For the will of God to be done on earth in a situation or in a person's life as it will be done in heaven. We're praying for God to make a way for the things that are on earth. Make a way so that the things on earth will be the way that they will be in heaven. But to understand that all of that idea, there's kind of a big picture because the kingdom of God's not just a New Testament idea. The Old Testament Jews had an idea of the kingdom of God. So there's a big picture that we kind of have to see. Uh, at First is, and what, the way I've got it broke down, what the Father intended in the beginning. Right? When God created the world, we know that it was good. In fact, in Genesis 1 31, God says that it was very good. Now, in this very good world, everything was exactly the way God wanted it to be. Humans had a near-perfect communion with God. The relationship with one another was exactly the way that it should be. All of their needs were met. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no lack. There was no natural disasters. They had a God-given purpose. In this world, there was nothing that was not very good. And that was what God intended. That's the way the world was meant to be. And then the next part is what was upended by sin. While all human needs were met in the garden, there was still a need for obedience to God. Right? That was always a part of it. Part of a relationship with God was never that we were God's equals, but it was always that of a king and a subject. So a part of living in the kingdom was that Adam and Eve were meant to obey God. So they had all of this freedom. They could eat of any tree of the garden except for one. And they were told that if they ate of this one tree, there would be terrible consequences for violating this rule. Right? And so we know the story. Satan came and he tempted Adam and Eve and they, they did what God had forbidden. They ate of the tree of the knowledge or not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that disobedience, it had horrific consequences for humanity and for creation. Everything about creation became broken. On that day, in that moment, when Adam and Eve sinned. And I've listed some of the things that were broken. The relationship between God and man was severed. The relationship between man and woman became one of of blame and disunity. Creation itself was cursed. Man died spiritually. Physical and spiritual death entered the world. Humanity was born from that moment on in rebellion against God. Naturally, humanity now walks a course of rebellion against God that's marked out by Satan. And the natural state of humanity is that of children of wrath. Humans are naturally blinded by Satan to their need for Jesus. The entire world is under the sway of Satan. Humanity struggles against evil spiritual forces. And Satan roams the earth freely, seeking someone to destroy. Now, none of that was the way God intended things to be. All of that came about because of sin. Adam and Eve's sin brought all of those consequences, all of those things, into existence and into the world. The earth and the people of earth were no longer very good. From that moment on, everything was tainted with sin. And it began a horrendous cycle of pain, loss, disease, death, ruin, and confusion that continues today. As we look at the world, it's clear that the world is broken. Now, there is pain, there is suffering, there is starvation, there is lack, there is disease... There is all manner of immorality and idolatry that abounds. And all of that, all that's wrong in our world today, as we look out and we see anything that's broken, that's messed up, that's painful, that's suffering, all of that is a result of sin that came in that day in the garden and upended everything that God had planned. But God's plan was also that there would be a Redeemer that would come who would then begin to restore what had been lost in the garden. And that's what was extended when Jesus came. When Jesus came, he preached that the kingdom of God was at hand. Now, the kingdom, as I said, isn't so much a place, it's a time. time when God rules and his will is perfectly done. God's will being perfectly done, now it means a lot more than just people doing what God says, although we'll talk about that and that's a part of it. In the kingdom, when God's will is perfectly done, everything will be different because God's perfect and original plan for humanity and creation will be done. And the Old Testament prophesied about this, right? It will be a time when righteousness and justice prevails, Isaiah tells us. It will be a time when people live in peace, again in Isaiah. Joel says it will be a time of the fullness of the Spirit. Jeremiah says there will be a time when there is a new covenant that will be realized. Isaiah says it's a time when the waste places on earth will be restored. Isaiah says it's a time when there is no sickness or death. Zechariah and Isaiah tell us that it's a time when sin will be done away with. So the kingdom, when it comes, it restores, it resets everything back to, like in a computer lingo, back to factory settings. Back the way that God's original plans for humanity were meant to be. Now, as Jesus came and as He preached on the kingdom of God, He demonstrated a measure of what the kingdom would be like as He restored things. right? And He restored things back to the way they were meant to be by what He Himself, He lived in the fullness of the Spirit. He imparted the Holy Spirit to others. He healed the sick, showing that in the kingdom there is no sickness, there is no disease. He cast out demons, showing that in the kingdom the evil spiritual forces are forever conquered and no longer have influence in the world. He forgave sin because in the kingdom there is no condemnation. He fed the hungry because in the kingdom there is no lack. And I didn't put it, but He raised the dead because in the kingdom there is no death. But all of these things that Jesus was doing in His life and in His teaching was giving us a taste of what it will be like when the kingdom fully comes. And yet at times Jesus' teaching, it seemed to contradict itself. At times He preached that the kingdom was at hand, like in Mark 1 and 15. At other times He preached about the kingdom and He made it clear that the kingdom had not yet come. Matthew 25 is filled with a series of parables that talk about when the kingdom comes and what the kingdom of God is like, and yet all of those take place at the end of time. And this is what's called by theologians the already-not-yet aspect of the kingdom. Already the king has come, and already the kingdom has started, but it has not yet fully been set up. Jesus, with His coming and His death and His resurrection, He brought about the entrance to the kingdom. The kingdom coming into the world, it began with Jesus, but it has not been fully fulfilled. Right To see it fully fulfilled is like Revelation 21. The new Jerusalem comes down and all of those things pass away. That's the the fulfillment, that's the ultimate coming of the kingdom. So right now, we live in a tension between the two. The kingdom has come and has started, but that point has not yet been fully arrived yet. And so we live in, again, what I said the theologians call the already-not-yet aspect. But I was reading a book last year, and rather than already-not-yet, it gave a different series of words that I like better. And it gave it as, as come and coming, right, for the purpose of hope and anticipation. Because when you say not yet, what you're saying is, what you're focusing on, the things that are not happening. And that's kind of the way you tend to look at it. And that ends up being disheartening and it can be discouraging. But when you say it's coming, what you're focusing on is the fact that God is going to do it. Right? It is coming. It's not come yet, but it is coming. And it is going to happen. It refocuses us on hope, keeps the focus on God and on His power, His goodness, His kingdom, and His promises. Now, these are just a few of the things that have already come. Right? Already what has come to us is through Christ we have imputed righteousness. We, we have the righteousness of God in Christ credited to our account. What has come to us is victory over sin. We have no obligation to do what our sinful nature desires. Satan is defeated. That's already come now. That should actually be Colossians 2.15, not 1.15. Where Paul says that Jesus made a spectacle over them by triumphing over all the evil spiritual forces. What has come is that death has been defeated. And what has come is that healing is available. James said to gather the elders, to pray for the sick, and God would heal. But what's coming? What has not yet arrived but is coming? Well, we're not yet perfect, but we will be. But he who began a good work in us will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. So right now we have imputed righteousness, but there will be a day where we will be perfected in righteousness. What is coming is that while we still struggle with sin, one day we won't. But right now... There is a that within us the flesh and the spirit lusting and fighting against one another. But when Jesus Christ comes, we will see Him as He is and we will be transformed and we will be like Him. What's coming is that while Satan is still an enemy, one day he will be destroyed in hell. But contrary to, to popular theology, hell is not where Satan rules and governs and does the things that he does. Hell will be Satan's prison. The smoke of his torments will rise forever and ever as he is cast into the lake of fire. Coming is that we still die physically, but one day we will be resurrected to die no more. For Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in him, though they die physically, they will live forever. What is coming is that while we still get sick, there is a day coming of total healing. Revelation 21.4 says that, that in that day when the new Jerusalem comes down and all of this is ushered in there is no more sickness. There is no more death. There is no more parting. All of the that is going to be done away with. That is still coming. Now all of this is what is meant by the kingdom of God. And we'll talk about how that plays out in our prayers in just a second. But as you can see this is very hope filled. Very much, our God is active. Our God is at work. Our God hears our prayers and He does things in our lives right now to make a difference. In a lot of ways, this will require a change of thinking for many, many Christians in America. For a lot of American Christianity lives under what you could call a a functional deism. Right. They believe that God is real and that he can do things in their everyday life, but they don't really have any expectation or anticipation that he will. But they believe that God can save their souls, but there is little, if any, concept of God being able to solve the physical or emotional problems of their lives. God is perfectly able to do spiritual things like forgive sins and save souls, but not so much that he can and does do physical things like heal heal the sick, set captives free, heal broken hearts, reconcile ruptured relationships, bring deliverance and many other things. What you find in a lot of ways in an American Christianity is an idea that God is going to do whatever God is going to do and nothing that we do has any bearing whatsoever on that. God is going to save who He's going to save, whether we pray for their salvation or whether we share the gospel with them or not. God is going to do whatever He's going to do, whether we pray about that or not. Now the Bible does not bear that mindset out. I was reading today in in Numbers uh, 14. In Numbers 14, the people of Israel have heard this bad report that the promised land is wonderful, but there's giants in the land and they're like grasshoppers in their eyes and they can't take it. So everybody goes, oh, we're going to die. We're just going to go back to Egypt. I wish we had already died. And so God gets angry and He says, I'm going to kill them. I'm just going to kill them all, Moses, and start over with you. Moses prays. And he says, because of your great compassion, God, your great mercy, forgive them. What does God say? At your word, because of your word, I will spare them. Now what would have happened had Moses not prayed? Was God going to forgive who he was going to forgive? No. Had Moses not interceded, God would have smoked a lot of them and started over with Moses and his family. And we see that over and over and over again in Old and New Testament Scripture. So kingdom theology, proper kingdom theology, it will not let us have this functional deism. Right? This idea that yes, there is a God, but He's not active, involved in our lives. We have to say that the kingdom, when we are praying for the kingdom to come, we are absolutely praying for our God to intervene, to do big things in people's lives, practical, everyday things that are visible, make changes. And make whatever's going on in their life like it will be in heaven. That His perfect will would be done. So what we're going to do now, just take a time where we are and we're going to pray. And as you pray, pray to understand the kingdom. Pray to understand the power of what the kingdom does. Pray that this would shape the way that you pray, the way that you live your life. That we would live seeking for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done on this earth in our lives as it will be in heaven. Father, we come tonight and we love you. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we, we want to have a right mindset about your kingdom and your kingdom coming and, and what that means. So, Father, help us. Help us to embrace what Scripture says as real. Help us to embrace what Scripture says as right. And, Lord, help us to, to live, to speak, to pray. And just to do all that we do. With a sense of anticipation. That you are here. And you are at work. In our lives. And in the lives of those around us. Guard us God. From a form of functional deism. That would say God is real. But he's not actively involved. In the, in the everyday normal things of life. Help us God not to. To put you on a shelf that says that you only do spiritual things that no one can really see. But that you don't do physical or emotional things that are visible in this world. That testify of your greatness and your goodness and your power. For truly when we look in scripture we see a God who not only did spiritual things. But who did physical things. Who healed broken hearts. And did things that people had to say truly. The living God is among them. Oh God, give us faith to believe this. Give us faith to pray this way. Give us faith to live this way. And Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in our hearts and in our lives right now as it will be in heaven. And let our lives testify. Of your greatness, of your goodness, of your majesty. Of the fact that our God is here and present and at work in our lives. And we'll be very careful to give you all the glory for you alone deserve it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said we're to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we're praying for the kingdom to come. We are praying for God's rule and God's reign to be evident in the world around us. When we're praying for the kingdom to come, we're praying for God's will to be done in the situation for which we're praying. Now when God's kingdom comes, as I said, all that's wrong will be set right. When God's kingdom comes, God's will is always done. And as I mentioned on the Sunday that I preached on the on the Lord's Prayer, we often get messed up in praying for God's will. Because I, at least I know that I have. And I, I mentioned this but I'll cover it again. It's a part of the, the lesson. I know that when I've often prayed about a situation. I've ended my prayers by saying. But let your will be done. And in many cases. What I've meant is. I, I don't know what your will is in this situation. Or. Whatever happens. That must be Your will. Has anyone else ever prayed that way? Has has your prayer ever been along those lines? But what we have to know. Is that in many cases. If not most cases. We can know. Without a shadow of a doubt. What God's will is. Right. And. Not everything that happens. Is God's will. Right. So. Those two things are true. We can know God's will. And anything that's different than what we know to be God's will that happens that wasn't God's will. The church of Jesus Christ in our day has become way too accepting of things that are not God's will. We have resigned ourselves to say that's just the way it is. Or the things are are different now. There's nothing really that we can do. And we just accept these things that, that are clearly not God's will as God's will. But that's not what it means to pray your kingdom come and your will be done. Right? When we pray for God's kingdom to come into a situation, we're praying for God to powerfully move in this situation and to do in it right now, in this earth, in this life, What will be done when His kingdom fully comes? How do we know what God's will is so that we can pray for His kingdom to come and His will to fully be done? We look to Scripture. Scripture gives us the answer of God's will. Scripture reveals to us the will, the want, and the mind of God. If we want to know what God thinks, we need to know what Scripture says. If we want to know what God wills, we need to know what Scripture says. And then when we know God's will in a given situation, we can pray boldly for His kingdom to come and His will to be done in that situation. And we can say, when things that are not His will, not what we find in Scripture is being done, we can say, this is not God's will. This is not Thy will be done. It's not. Now, so let me give you some examples. And again, I think I mentioned, this is the one I used in the sermon. People enslaved to sin. That's a common thing. In our day, people are enslaved to sin. They're, it abounds in the world around us. They, they brag about it. It is celebrated. It's not even considered as slavery to sin or shameful any longer. And it's easy enough for us to conclude, look at the, how far it abounds, and to say that's just the way the world is now. There's nothing really that we can do. It must be God's will if this person lives in this lifestyle. Despite the fact, these things are clearly not God's will. Right? And I can know for certain they're not God's will because of 1 John 3 8. And, and I didn't, I wasn't able to, the reference is there, but I wasn't able to print all the verses. But it says, He who sins is of the devil. For the devil was sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Right? So, someone who sins is of the devil. That's a pretty bold statement. We don't have time to get into that. But Jesus was manifested. He came to destroy that work. To destroy that enslavement. He came to set people free. Therefore, we can always confidently and correctly conclude it is never God's will for someone to be enslaved to sin. Right? When we see someone living a sinful lifestyle, no matter what the sin is, whether it's a big sin, whether it's a little sin, no matter how we would categorize it, if they are living a life of sin, that is not God's will. It doesn't matter if they're happy. It doesn't matter if they feel fine. It doesn't matter if they don't feel convicted. It matters that God has said Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to set people free. So anyone living a lifestyle of sin, that is not God's will. So as the people of God, we must never accept that in our prayers or our lifestyles. When we pray for someone that's living a lifestyle of sin and they say, I'm happy, I feel at peace about it. We don't alter what the Bible says and say, well, that must be the will of God then. God's will be done. We say, no, this is not God's will. And we pray for them to be delivered and set free of that. Anytime we pray for someone to be delivered from slavery to sin, we are praying for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done in that person's life right now as it will be in heaven. That is God's will that they would be delivered or people deceived by Satan with the plurality of religions in our culture, the variety of ways people seek to be spiritual and the general interest in the occult that we see growing around us. Again, it's easy to conclude this is just the way it is. There's not really anything we can do, despite the fact this is clearly not God's will. And I can say without a doubt, it's not God's will because Paul wrote and he said, therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers and intercessions of thanks be given for all men. for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, so, so what is God's will for all men that they would know the truth? Well, who's the truth? Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Salvation is found in Christ alone. Therefore, we can say it is never God's will for anyone to be a Muslim. It is never God's will for anyone to be a Jehovah's Witness. It is never God's will for anyone to be a Mormon. It is never God's will for someone to be a good moral person who just doesn't see a need for Jesus. It's never God's will for someone to be a witch. It's never God's will. For someone to seek spirituality outside of Christ. Never. It doesn't matter if it makes them a better person. It doesn't matter if it's changed their life. It doesn't matter if they feel at peace or calm or happy or thrilled. It is not God's will. It is never God's will. For anyone to be deceived by Satan and think there is another path to salvation except through Jesus Christ. So when we pray someone to be free from Satan's deception, to know the truth about Jesus, about eternal life and salvation, we are praying God's will. We are praying for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done in this person's life right now as it will be in heaven, right? Because in heaven, no one will be enslaved to sin. In heaven, no one will worship anyone but Jesus. So we're saying make that happen right now in their life. Today. Now. Now there are a lot of other things besides those that we talk often about the cares of life. Scripture talks about them in ways that we've often designed as as like being crushed under the cares of life. We know what the cares of life are for we live in this world and we have cares. It may be a family member that's straying that burdens us. It could be a A personal issue in our life that not an issue of sin, but a physical or an emotional problem. It could be financial. It could be any number of things. For there are any number of personal issues that can be cares of this life that crush us or make us feel pressed and crushed. And even in those situations, we can know what the will of God is and pray. For the kingdom to come and his will to be done. But one verse that I think is important in this is John 10 and 10. The thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that may have life and have it more abundantly. I'm convinced we can use this as a filter to determine God's will in a specific situation. But Satan comes for what purpose? Steal, kill, and destroy Jesus came for what purpose? To give life in all of its abundance. So when I see a situation in my life or someone else's life and the result is that it is stealing, killing and destroying it's clearly not Jesus, is it? That is not God's will. That is not what God would have done in that situation. He, He does not will for us to be defeated by Satan in any area of our lives. He wills. For us to have an abundant life through Jesus Christ. And I, there's a, a lot that we could talk about. But there's just a, one long way and then several shorter ways. And I think we, should, we can interpret this. Use that verse as a grid. As a filter to determine God's will. So marriage. Because marriage problems are really common in our culture. The Bible tells us a lot about marriage. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 and 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, much of Proverbs is written by Solomon to his son, "My son, keep my sayings." And because of that, Proverbs is written from the perspective from that perspective. Right? So, Solomon as he warns his son about immoral people, he doesn't warn his son about the immoral man. He warns his son about the immoral woman. If Solomon had had daughters, he would have said probably he who finds a husband finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Beware my daughter of the immoral man. Right. So when we read these sort of things in Proverbs, we shouldn't say that's just it's just there's just only immoral women. And only women are the ones who find the good or the good thing that provides that shows favor of the Lord. Instead, I think we should understand this in it's going both directions. A Man who finds a wife finds a good thing. And that obtains favor from the Lord. A woman who finds a husband finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So that's what it's meant to be. It's a good thing and it's favor from the Lord. Also, Ephesians 5, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Titus, Paul writes that the older women should admonish the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. So you put those two together, because that's just a very small sampling, and what you find... Is that scripture is meant to be a part of the abundant life. That Jesus has given us. It is to be a love based relationship. Which is always better than anything else. It is a good thing. That God designed. And it demonstrates. Or is a demonstration of God's favor. For our life. Now that is what it is supposed to be. But what if it is not? What if. There's all kinds of strife and fighting. What if there's cheating? What if there's distrust? What if there's just a general sense of I'm not happy in my marriage any longer? Now does that sound more like steal, kill and destroy or the abundant life that Jesus came to give? Certainly not the abundant life that Jesus came to give. So anytime we pray for a couple to have a strong and a healthy marriage. We are praying for the kingdom to come. And God's will to be done. In this marriage now. As it will be in heaven. I mean we can say for every marriage. It is God's will. That they love each other. That they see one another as a gift and a good thing from God. That when they look at one another. They say I know God favors me because of you. And we can pray for every couple we know to have that view of their spouse and we know that is God's will. It is never God's will that they hate and distrust one another. It is never God's will that they cheat on one another. It is never God's will for there to be constant bickering and strife and continual stirring of just anger in one another. That's never, never, never. God's will. So when we see that in a couple, we can always pray against it. We can even pray it preemptively. And when somebody, particularly somebody's getting married, pray for them to have that kind of a marriage. And we can know that is God's will. Without doubt, without fail, without exception. It is. And you can take any crushing care of life. You can find out what Scripture might say about it. And filter it through John 10.10 and find out how to pray God's will. Now, we don't have time to go through these others in a, more, in a lengthy way like we did with that one. But here are some of the crushing cares of life. Purposelessness. There is very little in life that's worse than thinking you just don't matter. Right? And yet Ephesians tells us that we are all created in Christ Jesus for the good works that God prepared for us beforehand. And so if someone is a, a believer... There is a reason God created them. There is a reason God saved them. And if they feel miserable and unimportant and nobody cares about them and their life doesn't matter, that is steal, kill, and destroy. We can absolutely pray for them to find God's plan, God's purpose, to go out and do that and find that fulfillment and say this is God's will for them. Now we, we don't know the specifics of their will, of God's will for them. But there's something. That is God's plan and God's purpose for their life. And when we pray for them to know that. To find it and to live it. That is your kingdom come. Your will be done in their life right now. For in heaven there will be a purpose. Hopelessness. That right? hopelessness. hope, Hopelessness abounds in our culture. And yet we're told that scripture was given for our learning. That we through the patience and comfort of scripture might have hope. We're told that God is the God of hope who fills us with all joy and peace and believing so that we can abound with hope. The Holy Spirit. So when you find a hopeless person, it's never God's will. It is never God's will for someone to feel hopeless and despondent like that. And we can pray, fill them with your hope. Fill them with what comes from you so that they will abounding, mean, abounding with hope. That is always God's will for all of our lives. Discouraged or depressed. Again, that's sort of like hopelessness and they go together, but they're a little bit different. But what does scripture say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. There is the fullness of joy. So what is God's will for all of our lives? To rejoice in the Lord always. To have the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We can pray for God, the people to have those things. And when we see that they don't, we can say that's not God's will ever for them. For child problems, for parenting. In Genesis 18, God says that He knew Abraham for the purpose that he could train up his kids to know God and follow God. To paraphrase. That's essentially what he said. Malachi, God says what he wants from our marriages are godly children. Ephesians, Paul says, children obey your parents. And This is right in the Lord. So what is God's will for the parent-child relationship? Well, not that there would be a prodigal and not that there would be teenage rebellion. And not that we would just say, our oh, kids are going to be kids and that's just how teenagers act. No. No, God's plan, God's will is parents who teach their kids how to follow Jesus. Godly children who obey their parents. Anything else is not God's will ever. And so when we see that it's not that way, we can pray that it would be that way. Or if someone's having children, pray that it would be that way. That sort of prodigal, rebellious mentality of our culture is not God's will. And then anger and bitterness, and I've taken more time on this than I need to. But anger and bitterness flow in our culture as well. Paul says, not let the anger, not let the sun set on our anger, for it gives the devil a mighty foothold in our lives. Hebrews says that bitterness defiles us and others. When you see somebody that's perpetually angry, And it's got bitterness growing in their heart. That's not God's will. Now, let me say this. Bad things happen. Terrible things happen. But even when terrible things happen, perpetual anger and bitterness is not God's will. His will is never that we would give the devil a foothold in our life. His will is never... That bitterness, that we would be defiled and defile others through our bitterness. So when we see someone who's always angry, who's developing bitterness, we can pray against it and say, this is not God's will for their life. Never. Never will that be God's will. That's just how they are. No. No. No a thousand times. That is not just how they are. That is... Not God's will. That is not the kingdom coming and God's will being done. And we can pray against it. And these are just a few to look at. But what we should be able to see from this is that we can know God's will in these situations. Because He has revealed, he's revealed it to us. So anytime we pray what God has revealed to us in Scripture to be done, we are praying for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. In that situation right now, in, in this life, not just fix it when we get to heaven, but now, in this life, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then one more I want to cover quickly-ish is sickness. And sickness is a bit different. It's, it's trickier. Because the reality is we all have to get to heaven somehow if we've been saved. And to get to heaven, we have basically two choices. We can be alive when Jesus comes back, Or we can die, with death being the more likely of the two. Which means, at some point, it is going to be God's will for all of us to die. Now, how will that happen? There's no telling. Suddenly, lengthy illness, car wreck, live a long old life, go to sleep one night and wake up in glory. All of that seems to happen. There is no telling how it will come. And there is no way to fend off death forever. Yet at the same time, James does tell us to pray for the sick to be healed. So we certainly we pray for the sick to be healed. But we do that knowing that healing healing may not be God's will. Healing in this life may not be God's will. However, despite the fact that healing in this life may not be God's will, we can be sure that being crushed by the cares of life is not God's will. Jesus said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy my burden is light. Paul says, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Rest and peace are always available. This is true regardless of whatever care of life we may be facing or how much pressure it exerts on us. This is true even with sickness, even in the face of death. Let me give an example from my family. Several years ago my cousin Connie died and I was asked to speak at her funeral. Here's a part of what I said. When mom called me and told me that Connie had basically been consigned to hospice care, I remember thinking how tough that would be. We all know that any day can be our last. I mean, any number of things could happen to us any given day could be our last. It's just a tension that we probably don't think much about, but we all have to live with. But there's something different about knowing that you're going to die, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that someday soon your life is going to end. Times like this, it would be easy to turn inward, to let the situation turn you to a person that's angry and bitter at God, at life, and maybe even at those who got to stay after you were gone. It would also be easy in a time like this to turn inward and begin to feel sorry for yourself, to pity yourself. Because of the hand that life had dealt you. And honestly, I think both of those responses are understandable. I think this is especially true if you have something to live for as Connie did. A husband she loved, children whose life she was involved in, and grandchildren she wanted to see grow up. Yet despite the temptation must have been there, she didn't seem... She did not respond in this way. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm sure there were times where she struggled with this, but from what I can tell this wasn't her normal way of life in these last few months. She faced this time with a grace and dignity that's awesome. Not only not long ago, something happened that reinforced this to me. When mom told us about Connie, our family started praying for her. And every night during our family prayers, we'd pray for Connie and the family. My oldest daughter is especially sensitive about stuff like this. And was really worried about Connie and asked every day how Connie was doing. If I didn't know, she would tell me that I need to call Nana and find out. One day mom called from Connie's house and I told her to tell her that we were praying for her. And that my daughters, especially Caitlin, were really praying hard for her. Mom said she wouldn't hung up. Not long after that, mom called back and said she had a message from Caitlin, for Caitlin from Connie. Connie wanted Caitlin to know that she was going to die. But she was okay. She wasn't in any pain. She wasn't afraid and when she died she would be with Jesus and her family. Her reason for telling Caitlin this was that she didn't want her to doubt God when she died despite the fact that Caitlin had prayed for her. Here she was dying and rather than focusing on herself and her situation she was worried about the faith of a little girl. We could wonder what it was that allowed Connie to respond like this even toward the end of her life but we all know it was her faith in Christ. Mom told me not long ago there were several people over at Connie's house and Connie wanted them all to gather and pray with her. Mom said that after everyone had prayed, Connie was filled with the joy of the Lord and began to praise God tell them how great Jesus was. Connie wasn't old. She was 67 years old. She had been sick for several years before she was placed on hospice. Despite the fact that her illness was long and was drawn out, that care of life didn't crush her. She had peace and rest because of what Jesus had done. What God gave to Connie in the midst of the crushing care of her life. He can and will give to everyone in the midst of the crushing cares of their life. When we pray for those who are sick or have sick loved ones. Not to be crushed under the cares of life. But to have peace and to have rest. We are absolutely praying for the kingdom to come. And God's will to be done right now in their life. In their situation. As it will be in heaven. That is a kingdom prayer. Sure we pray for God to heal. We are instructed to. But We also pray these other things because... No matter the situation, it's not God's will that our souls be unnerved and not at rest. It's not God's will that we have a lack of peace and always anxious in our lives. Let's take a few minutes and pray for God's will to be done. Think of an issue in your life and the life of someone you know. Just kind of ask, what do you know the scripture says about God's will in that situation? And then pray for that to be done. Father, we love you. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for knowing your will. And we can pray that these things are your will. Lord, the world around us seems to make it feel like it's not your will. Our own doubts and fears will push us away from believing that that's your will. And Lord, just the temptation to settle for less than what you've revealed in your word is always there. Give us grace to fight that. Lord, when we see a crushing care in our life or in someone else's life, let us go to Scripture to find out what You have to say about that. To pray that Jesus would show up and work and bring abundance into their life and not let Satan steal, kill, and destroy. For those that we all know that are slaved by sin, set them free. Make them to know Jesus, the power of His resurrection, His ability to set the captives free. Those that we may know that are deceived by the devil. Father, work in their lives. Make them to know the truth. Make them to know Christ. Make them to be saved. We love you, God. Have your way in all of our lives. All of these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now when we think about God's kingdom coming and His will being done. We need to think about it in two ways. Out there and in here. If I want God's kingdom to come and His will to be done out there then I have to be consistent and want His kingdom to come and His will to be done in here. Because to be honest, it's the slightest bit hypocritical for us to want the kingdom to come and His will to be done out there, but not be willing for that to be done in here. Jesus said we're to pray for the kingdom to come, for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This means we want God's will to be done on earth in exactly the same way that it's done in heaven. In heaven God's will is done instantly. Not later. When God says an angel go and do. They don't say give me a minute. They instantly take off. In heaven God's will is done enthusiastically. Not half heartedly. And in heaven God's will is done completely. and Not partially. So when we are praying for God's will to be done. And His kingdom to come. We are praying a personal prayer of surrender for our lives, that we would think the way that God wants us to think, that we would see the world in the way that He wants us to see it, that we would hear all of the things that He wants us to hear, that our mouths would say all of the things that He wants us to say, That our hearts would desire all the things that He wants us to desire. And that we would surrender our will to do whatever He wants us to do. And we would do all of these things immediately, enthusiastically, and completely. For just as God has a kingdom come, will be done out there, make no mistake, there is kingdom come and will to be done in here. And as we pray that God will reveal those things to us. And as we pray it, we are saying, I am ready. I believe what you want me to believe. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll see what you want me to see. I'll do what you want me to do, no matter what that is. It's a part of praying for the kingdom to come and his will to be done. In Romans, Paul said the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Stuff we've talked about tonight, what we see in Scripture It's more than encouraging words. It's more than something that sounds like it fires us up. At least it fires me up. It's true. It's real. It is the power of God able to do in us and through us and for us. More than we could ask or imagine. What we could never do for ourselves. What no one else could ever do for us. Let's embrace kingdom theology. What we've talked about tonight is right and is real. And begin to pray for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done out there and in here right now as it will be in heaven. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.